Good morning, Minneapolis and other beautiful cities all around the world. My name is Lavia Ova, and I am an extreme extrovert. So, the other day, um, I was just, you know, browsing the web. And as you know, I work on Wisdo. Wisdo is an app for um, people with um, that just need a little bit of support. It's mainly for mental health. But, um, you know, if you have a disability, if you're struggling with autism, um, or if you're not struggling at all, you know, maybe your life is great, you know, and you might have, um, you know, under control with your um, disability and your mental health and your physical health. Um, but it's basically just a little area for people that um, are seeking support, peer support, um, and environments where they can kind of share their struggles with particular things like that. And um, one thing that I found very interesting is I ran into this addiction called love addiction. And of course it's common sense that any substance you can get addicted to you know, I'm sure you could get addicted to water. I'm sure you can, you know, get addicted to anything. Anything that has a potential of be having an emotional, um, you know, com comfort or <clears throat> anything, you know. But ideally, when it comes to addictions, I think of things that help us escape. And when I think of love, I don't... Um, particularly think of it as um, a concept of escape. You know, addiction is, is a huge spectrum. And me as an alcoholic, I always drink, you know, to fix something, you know, to ease something. Um, you know, I drink for many reasons, for comfort. And so taking that understanding, which I know is not you know, like everyone's journey, but taking my general understanding of my own addiction, I'm trying to apply it to the understanding of this love addiction. And I saw this little um, poster on love addiction that kind of sums it up in a few, um, you know, few sentences. And anyone, you know, that has, has experienced this um, addiction, I want to let you know that this is just my general understanding of it. Um, I'm not a professional, and um, I don't mean any harm whatsoever for people that um, identify with this particular disorder. So love addiction comes in many forms. Um, there's codependent love addicts, addicts. I always want to say addicts. I don't know why. <laughs> codependent love addicts. Narcissistic, narcissistic love addicts. Ambivalent love addicts. Obsessed love addicts, relationship addicts, and romance addicts. I'm sure there's other ways or other um, categories that multiple of these can go into. I, I kind of feel like um, someone could have more than one. And I'm pretty sure that there's multiple names for these particular groups. But this is the one that I particularly found online. It was like um, through someone that was sharing their experience and saying like, hey, I identify with one of these. So, codependent love addicts. 
live in fear that their partner will leave them and do anything they can to try and prevent them from from this happening. Narcissistic love addicts attempt to assert complete control over their their partner through dominance, seduction, violence, and other means. Ambivalent love addicts desperately crave love but are terrified of intimacy. They often sabotage relationships, make themselves sexually unavailable, or obsess over someone who is unavailable. Obsessed love addicts cannot let go of their partner, even if their relationship is highly toxic. Relationship addicts have separated from their partner, but feel unable to live without them. Romance addicts often have many partners, but move on once their initial flame has died down. I think that even if you're not a love addict, you can kind of identify with some of these um, categories. I think when we use the word addict, um, it basically means, you know, someone that um, has a habit and it makes a significant difference in their life. You know, like when I was drinking, like everybody drinks, like (laughs) almost everyone does. Um, in my circle of friends and, you know, in my everyday life in general, many people that I talk to drink and I drank too. And the only difference is, you know, that substance or that behavior is affecting your life in a, because it's the most important thing in your life. So if you're looking at these and you're, if you're listening to these and you're like, hey, you know, this kind of sounds like me and my love addict, th- th- you're probably not a love act- addict. And addiction means that, you know, this is it's so important in your life that it's like kind of sabotaging other things in your life. And you got to balance, you know, life is all about balance. Good, bad, all has to have a balance. And I found this very interesting, like, the reason why I'm sharing this in my podcast is because I consider myself a pretty educated person. Um, I try to be a smart person. Um, I try to actively learn about new things. And I had never heard of love addiction before. And I thought it was very, very interesting. I find it very interesting. And I want to find more information about it because it's something that in my experience of life, I've seen these um, categories of people before around me, but I've never like considered it an addiction. And that's why it's always good to seek professional um, understanding um, of addictions because those people can really um, tell the difference whether or not it's a particular addiction or if it's a toxic behavior or if it's just a pattern of behavior, you know. And some patterns of behavior are not bad. But anyway, um, one thing that I kind of identify, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm a love addict, but like in regards to these, um, you know, these particular types, I think that based on my understanding of my addiction, because I'm an alcoholic, I think a lot of these kind of base from childhood. You know, when you're a child, you learn a lot of behaviors from your parents. It's funny because I'm, I'm an alcoholic, but my parents both never drank. There were other um, things to it that contributed to my drinking. 
Um, but it wasn't the behavior itself. You know, like my parents both didn't drink when I was younger. And so kind of looking at these categories, codependent love addict, narcissistic love addict, ambivalent love addicts going on, I wonder if there's any, what the like core, um, you know, we never really know what causes addiction, but we can kind of have a good idea of like what maybe has happened to someone to maybe like have this as a, um, what is it called? Symptom. Symptom. Because these, love addiction is a symptom of other things. So let's take, let's take codependent love addicts. Live in fear that their partner will leave them and do anything they can do to prevent it from happening. With my own general understanding of the world, which is very biased, this is my opinion. I'm not a professional on this topic, this is my opinion. Um, I almost kind of feel like this is a symptom of someone maybe having a neglectful or absent parent. Someone that maybe in their life they have lost people. Maybe they are not very trusting. Maybe of people. And I can understand that. You know, if you believe that, you know, you're someone that you depend on or love and they, you know, you're trying to do everything to maintain that relationship... Sometimes this might be a symptom of support, needing support. You know, maybe in your life somewhere you really do need support, whether it's physical, emotional, or financial. And I think it's very interesting to speculate like that. I like to speculate about these things. Um, I don't know why, but I do. Romance addict, I can particularly understand because... And I'm not saying all people that identify with my sexuality are like this. But as a polyamorous person, um, romance is very important to me. Um, And I personally really enjoy going on dates with people, hanging out with people, the holding hands, even the kissing, the hugging, the snuggling. And then after that, I'm like... Go home. (laughs) After that, I'm like, get out of my face. I had my sexy time. For me, that is sexy. For me, that is romance and that is exciting. And then anything after that, I'm like, you know what? I'm good. I have my one partner that satisfies me in that way. Everybody else, awesome. You can go home. And so I kind of identify with this uh, romance Um romance addicts. Um, I don't identify as a romance addict myself, but I can understand this one a little bit better, like more than the other categories. So a romance addict says you have multiple partners, but move once the initial flame has died down. And who, you know, who would, who wouldn't want to keep that flame afloat, you know? It's so fun to do the fun things with partners. It's so fun to have romance. It's so fun to have love, to feel love. 
And as I'm reading more about this love addiction, it makes sense because for some people, love is an escape. It's an ideology. It's an idea. One thing that I am going off tangent, but one thing that I was thinking is like when we go into relationships, there's categories that people can tell you like, hey, these are red flags. These are things that you should do in your relationship. These are things you shouldn't do in your relationship. But in reality, intimacy is very, very broad. You know, it it's not... It, it doesn't have a black and white. It doesn't have a guidelines. In a lot of cultures and a lot of religions, they try to ha- set these guidelines for intimacy and romantic relationships, such as marriage. You know, when you get married, what does that mean? You only have sex with that one person. You only you know, share certain intimacies with that person. But in reality, do we really follow these guidelines? Because most people don't. And I think that's very interesting to me. Because especially, um, I've been in some, um, what I consider normative, or like heterosexually normative relationships. I'm bisexual, so um, when I've, I've dated, you know, heterosexual men, heterosexual cis males. And I've also, you know, dated non-binary people and other people um, that don't fit in the heterosexual cis male stereotype or identity in general. And um, as a person... I absolutely love the idea of polyamory. And this is because I don't believe that we all have just one partner. I don't believe that in our lifetime you can just love one person for 30 years. Now, people are going to be like, oh, you're skeptical because your parents divorced. Oh, absolutely. My parents did divorce. They divorced after 18 years. Okay, 18 years is a big commitment to love somebody. My grandparents have been married, had been married to each other for a lifetime. For a literal lifetime, y'all. It was like 65 years. So I, I have these examples in my life. And I don't doubt love in that way. I don't doubt that, like, you can't have a partner for that long. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, for some people, that is a very unrealistic ideology. For me, I'm a kind of person, that's why I kind of identify a little bit with the, in regards to the categories of love addicts. Um, I think that everyone has potential of, um, having or I'll rephrase this differently. I think that everyone has a little bit of each love addiction within their character. They have the ability to obtain that characteristic. But, you know, in regards to addiction, it's more um, life affecting for others than some people. 
So I'm, I personally, like, even with, in regards to alcoholism, I think that a lot of people have problems with alcohol. But whether you identify it as an addict really plays down to how it pertains to your health, how it affects your life, how, you know, like, but I'm not saying that only addicts have, you know, bad habits with drinking. Oh no, I know some really good people that are not alcoholics and still occasionally make an oopsie, you know. Oh, you know, even if you've never been in a rehab, you've never been to a rehab center, I can guarantee you that you've probably drank and lost some memory, maybe had way too many wine glasses that your doctor has prescribed. Are you an alcoholic? I probably not. <laughs> if you're if if you're not sitting in rehab really contemplating your life decisions, probably not. So anyway, but when it comes to love in general, I just don't like the fact that love has to be such a you know, black or white thing, heterosexual, gay, um, or like, it has to be such, in such a category every time. And love doesn't have to be like that. So going back to my point on um, polyamory, the reason why I believe that polyamory is not for everyone, but works for some people is because some people just favor certain things in a relationship over others. Some people, financial, like, financial stability is important. For some people, you know, having an emotional support is important. For me, when I date, when I go out, I love interacting with people. I like learning about people. I like to learn and listen to people that share life experiences with me that they are proud of. I like when people say, oh, I love my best friend because of this, this, and this. I love my partner because of this, this, and this. I want to hear. I generally have interest in what other people like to do in their lives. (laughs) That's why I always feel like... (laughs) I would be like a good therapist or something because I generally like seek, um, you know, seek learning about people in like intimately. I like that. And in regards to my personal understanding of romance, when someone shares with that, with me a story about their grandparents or like how they learned to ride a bike or how they understand their religion. Or how they identify in their culture. When I hear about that, for me, that is so exciting. (laughs) I like to see, um, you know, how they sit when they tell me. I like to see how they present themselves. I like to see how um, how they reference to other people. It really shows a lot about a person, how they describe other people. And how respectful they are, or in, or not respectful, they are. And in regards to romance, 
I just like dates in general. I like hanging out with random people. I like to, you know, sit down at a park, eat some lunch with a man or a woman. And I like to talk and I like to hold hands. And I like to, you know, maybe kiss, maybe hug, maybe snuggle. And then that's as far as it really goes. That's romance for me. That is exciting for me. Those things are exciting. That is that is what gets me going <laughs> during at the end of the day. But romance does not look like that for everyone. Some people really like sexual things more than any of the other things. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying that's just how it is. And it's very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. And I just wanted to share this with you guys because in my mental contemplations about it because it's just so new to me. And I'm, and whenever I talk on this podcast, I'm just, you know, talking about my own mental process. I'm not saying nothing is good or bad. I'm not saying this is right or wrong. But this is just my understanding of things and how I comprehend the world. But I'm going to take a few minutes here to take a few breaths. (sighs) Gonna breathe in, breathe out. Let's take a few minutes to breathe and relax. Maybe kind of, you know, think of what we listened to today contemplate what the information means to you. And I want you to know that whatever you're working on in your life today or tomorrow or wherever, you know, you can do it. And you've got this. Today is a good day. And if you're sober, you deserve to be sober. You deserve this chance in your life. If you're not sober, that's awesome too. Whatever you're doing, you deserve it. Whatever you want to do, you deserve it. And do something nice for yourself today. Listen to your favorite song. Say... Hello to a friend you haven't maybe talked to in a long time. Take a few minutes from your break at work and go outside. Make sure to eat breakfast. Drink lots of water. And have the safest, 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 safest. (laughs) Safest, 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 safest. Have the safest of travels.